Hello and welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. This is your host, Dave Stovall. Today's episode features Dave Buring of Lion's Share talking to us about spiritual warfare. I'm not sure where you are on this spectrum of where, like what tradition that you grew up in. I grew up in the Southern Baptist world, so we were a little bit afraid of the Holy Spirit. But the older I get and the more that I'm following Jesus' lead in my life, the further that He is leading me into learning about spiritual warfare, the tactics of the enemy like deception, distraction, discouragement, and also tools that I can use to defeat the enemy in that realm. I know that might sound a little supernatural to you, but I believe that as believers and followers of Jesus in America, this is something that we desperately need to know about and be prepared for so that we can watch out for ourselves and genuinely help other people that are struggling. Let's listen to Dave as he explains this to us, shares his personal stories, and gives us the practical tools that we need and the red flags we need to be watching out for in our everyday walks with Jesus. Let's listen as he encourages us today. This morning what we want to do is um, we're going to jump into the topic of spiritual warfare. We're having sp- some spiritual warfare and getting the thing to the screen, right? So it's okay. This is, this is one that um, is meant to just be very, very practical. Um, so um, let me add, just so I have kind of orientation from you guys on this. So my, my history is I grew up in the Lutheran Church, Minnesota, and uh, I had n- nothing, no grid of this. By the time I graduated from high school, it was like I, I recognized the Bible talked about there's a devil, so I knew this. I knew he wasn't good. I knew a little bit of his story. I knew that, but that was about it. <clears throat> and so when I graduated from high school, I went to Kona, Hawaii w- with Youth of the Mission and was there for seven years. And that's when kind of the introduction of this began to happen for me, training-wise, from Scripture, and then experientially. Hawaii, if you've ever been or spent any significant time there, is um, very spiritually-minded. And so they're aware of kind of the spiritual realm, if I can say it that way. And um, I had an experience happen that kind of was a whole, like, so again, think Lutheran kid, 18 years of age, no grid for this. And my outreach team was going from our school, our discipleship training school to the local high school campus, Konawina High School. And one of the DTS leaders, our school leaders, came up to our team of six or seven and say, hey, I kind of need to let you guys know about something up at this campus. Okay. So he begins to describe something to me that the only way I could tell you as an 18-year-old and the grid I had, it was like, felt like a cartoon. So he says, so on this high school campus right now, where a, a Christian teacher had invited us to come on the campus and do things with him, there was a verbal sparring going on between a very backslidden Christian who'd kind of walked away from the Lord, but knew enough to kind of get in this guy's face, and a kahuna's son. So in Hawaii, a kahuna is kind of the uh, spiritual leader that tends to be more um, dark than light, if I can say it that way. And um, so they're arguing, and they said, and so this is what the DTS leader is telling us. He said, so just so you know, it, no, is discipleship training school. Okay. And so, um, so I'm getting ready to go on this outreach. 
And he says, hey, I thought you guys might want to know this. So there was this argument between this Kahuna's kid and da da And after a top period of time, the Kahuna hit kid finally had it, and he raised his hand like this and formed a fireball literally? that everybody saw and threw it at this kid. Hit him, hit him in the chest, literally. Hit him and knocked him down. And I, so I'm kind of going, I don't have a category for that. <laughs> you know, I just had no grid whatsoever. But it awakened me as an 18-year-old again to, okay, and I, I remember my response was, you know, it wasn't this language because we didn't have this language back in 1977. But I remember thinking, I don't think I got the juice for that. Like, I don't know what I would do if I meet Mr. Kahuna's son. And it was the next week that um, we had a man come in who spoke on the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I remember going up that week and saying, you know, I need some of that. I need some prayer. And God did a work in my own heart. And that was kind of a, a, an awakening to me. And then... Um, years later, so I'm about 23-ish at this point, 22, 23, and we open this, we take this building up near Konawina High School and um, remodeled it into a youth center. And we named it Shiloh Corral, and it was a place that the Hawaiian kids during the lunch break could come down, and we had hot dogs and ice cream. I mean, it was just, a, and it was foosball tables. It was great. I mean, they could literally walk down from campus, to, and they, the, if you were a junior or senior, you could get off campus. So we had all these kids that would come in at lunchtime, and we could just build a relationship with them, sometimes minister to them. Well, as we were putting this thing together, I had on my team, she's a full-time missionary with me, Hazel, who was a botanist, so she knew her plant world, right? So I told Hazel, because the, the color was... Um, in Hawaii, there's a wood called koa. It's a very beautiful, rich, dark wood. And so the benches and the floor was just beautiful. And Hazel said, yeah, we need to get some like green ferns, you know, which grow all over the place. And we need to get some of that in here. I said, okay, can you just take care of that? She said, done. So she goes and gets these ferns, puts them in other plants. And it's like, it's beautiful. It's like, Hayes, this is awesome. It looks, it's welcoming. I think the kids will, well, <clears throat> two days later, we're together as a team and she said, she said, hey, you guys, I don't know what's going on, but these plants are not growing. They're dying. I said, come, you know, we all teased her. Come on, Miss, you know, uh, green thumb, you know. And she, she said, well, let's keep trying. Well, about three, four more days go by, and they're all dying. And she says, I have no idea what's going on. Well, we're, we then were in our prayer time, and Stanford, who is a Hawaiian young man we led to the Lord, who is now on our team, he just said, Dave, as I'm praying, I'm just getting this phrase I, I'm not looking for. It's just coming. It's the spirit of death. I said, what do you mean, Stan? He said, it's just, just I'm getting. So I said, well, why don't you lead us in prayer? So he just kind of took a stand in the name of Jesus. We agreed with him, cut it off, whatever over our property is attacked, you know, and, and he just appropriately in the name of Jesus, we cut this off. Wouldn't you know it? The plants all started to get healthy. Days. And Hazel's going, this is that. About two years later, I'd left YWAM at that point, was doing some pastoral work in Minnesota, and Stan called me. And he said, hey, I need to tell you something I found out. He said, remember that whole plant, Shiloh Corral? I said, yeah, why? He said, so Dave, I found out that that building is built on an old heiau. An old heiau is where they used to do human sacrificing. And so he said, now, like as a Hawaiian guy, he goes, now I know. Now I know there was something spiritually left over that nobody in the name of Jesus said, enough. So as a 18 to 25 year old, I was running into those kinds of things. So it awakened me to, this is the real deal, right? And, and I think when it comes to this topic, oftentimes, as I said yesterday, we get into extremes of either the devil's behind everything 
or he's just kind of like not there and not. And <clears throat> several years ago, I uh, at our church, I <clears throat> was noticing some of my friends who I deeply love. The way that I would say it is, they seem to be getting dragged under the bus by the enemy. You know, it's in other words, what was happening? There were these things going on in their lives. Some of them choices, some of them not choices. And, but it was like the enemy just dragging them under the bus and they never stopped to go, could this be the enemy? And I, and I would submit to you that oftentimes as followers of Jesus, we don't ask that question. Like I, I told you, I'm a very practical guy. If I'm on the way here and I'm supposed to speak in 10 minutes and I get a flat tire, you know, I'm calling AAA, can you come and get, take care of this while I'm doing spiritual warfare in the car so my own attitude doesn't get, right? But all of us have different orientations to this. And again, mine growing up in the Lutheran church was I knew there was a devil. I didn't really have any idea what in the world he would do with this, that, or the other thing. And when I was 28 years old was kind of a game-changing experience in my life that I wasn't looking for. That just happened. I was speaking at a youth camp up in um, uh, Ontario, Canada. And we finish, I don't know, 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night, spoke on God's heart as a father, ministered to kids, father's blessing, you know, that kind of stuff. And when we're done, a young woman named Joan comes up to me and she says to me, Dave, um, I didn't understand one word that you said. And she said, can we talk? I said, sure. So once everything settles down, you know, everybody's kind of sitting over there. So I said, Joan, we were outside, we were all outside and I, there was a split log, you know, bench. So I said, hey, let's sit down here and talk. And I said, what's up? And she said, I just, I, I couldn't like, I couldn't take in one thing you said. I So, you know, the next thing is tell me your story. So I'm giving you about a 20 minute story in about a minute. She basically said, so my mom and dad are both satanic priests. So I kind of went, oh, well, there it is, right? And she said, she said to me, um, my dad had the opportunity in our region to become the high priest. And so to do that, they brought me in as an 11-year-old. I was raped by the men, and they put me on an altar, and my dad is standing over me with a knife to sacrifice me. You know, I'm being very pastoral on the outside. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in the inside, I'm going, and I'm like, like what, what is in the world? And then she said, but I'm deemed unworthy. They bring in my friend. They do that to her, and my dad sacrifices her. 11 years old. And inside I'm going, yeah, now I can kind of understand why you might not understand God as a father, right? She's done. I do what any godly person would try to do is I said, hey, Joan, can I pray for you? And really I was buying time because I was going, God, where do you want me to go with this? And I'd been around, not that, but this kind of stuff a bit before. So as soon as I put my hand on her, say, say, Lord Jesus, she just falls off the log. I remember she her hitting her ribs and that's going to hurt. And she it looks like an epileptic seizure, but it's not. It's a demonic mass manifestation. And so I stand up. I kind of look where the group is to see if anybody sees. They're not seeing it. And as soon as I stand up over, she's just, you know, doing this kind of thing on the ground. Nothing, no spinning heads, no spitting up green. It's not that. Don't go there. But it looked like that. But as soon as I stood up, there was a wave. This is the only way I can describe it. That came off of her through me a fear like wow. the enemy trying to push off like back off and I just stood there I said Lord I know I'm saved by your grace I know you love this woman you want her free so in the name of Jesus I just cover this and then I went up and got the youth pastor and I got a teammate of mine who was there and and a young guy who was a bit of a wrestler because what was happening is she was thrashing and I needed her just to be held still 
And so we get together and I just said, and they're seeing this and they're kind of like this. And I'm just going, guys, we just have to obey Jesus. We got to be in unity because this thing is not wanting us to be in unity. We got to hear from the Lord and obey. And this was a game changing moment for me. And this is why I'm sharing this story with you, because I want you to know the authority you have. <laughs> so when it's kind of, okay, it's time. What, where do we want to go first? Whatever it was, I don't remember, but I'm supposed to lead it first. So, so I put my hand on her just gently. And I say, in the name of Jesus. And as soon as I say that, out of her mouth came a male sounding voice that said this, get that scarred hand off of me. It was like the old theme from Rocky. Dun, 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 dun. Because then it was like, oh. And I, I mean, I'm having this dawning of, oh. Oh. The enemy recognizes the living one in me. It's over now, pal. Right? And it's, boom. And, and, but you guys, I have never forgotten that. And I want you to remember that it doesn't matter if you're having a crap day. I just don't feel very spiritual. The same living one lives in you. And I have watched this over the years. And we have to realize that. So as a 28-year-old, I'm going afterwards like, God, why in the world did you let me? And it was, it was, I want you to see greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world with your own eyes. And over the years, from time to time, you bump into that kind of stuff. And, and it's, you have to realize when you're walking in Walmart on aisle three and lady crying on aisle five, you know, and you just go, I don't need more drama in my life. Do you realize the enemy is threatened that the living one is going to pop out of you and minister to the person? See, we ha it's like if you are a soldier in Iraq, you wake up every morning, part of your grid is warfare. Somehow as followers of Jesus, we've gotten, we don't have that grid. And you have to realize the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. I was just reading this morning that they found that shooter up in Maine, dead by a garbage dump, killed himself. And I, and I just thought that's typical. The enemy will use somebody to destroy others' lives, and he's going to take out that guy. That's, that's the way he operates, right? And we just have to realize, you guys, like when they're like the Hamas thing, when you look at that, yes, there's Islam and there's all the layers to it. But in the end, like when I was just watching it happening, I just said to Cheryl, this is like completely demonic. Like... Like, that is not a human thing to go behead children. Like, that's not, like, like even the worst of human being doesn't do that. There's, some, there's another layer there, right? And what I'm saying to us is, as people who lead others in disciple-making, we have to help them get a grid for spiritual warfare, all right? And so one of the things that I've, I've done is tried to say, how can I simplify this? I used to coach football here at Franklin at Franklin Classical School, and... One of, the, one of the things that I would do is take each position group and I would simplify their role to three things. Okay? So if you're a defensive end, you know, you need to seal the end. You know, and I would give them th these words and it would help them kind of just, so I could hold them accountable. We could have fun with it. What's your three things? Boom, 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 boom. Okay, that's all. I don't need you to do anything more and I don't need you to do anything less. If you do that, you're helping our team win. So I begin to think about how do we simplify spiritual warfare so that it, we can play fast. And, and so I have, usually when I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but this is the story that I'll often tell is, so when I was coaching high school football, Jeff Fisher and the Titans used to have a high school um, 
coach like um, workshop that we'd go to. And one of the things that they talked about is how they always try to have their guys play fast, which means you're not thinking about it. You've, you've drilled it into you so much, you're not thinking about it. All right, so when it comes to tackling, you're not thinking hit, wrap, drive, which was the language you'd use hit here, wrap your arms and lock them and drive with your back leg. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you know, I don't want them thinking hit, wrap, drive, hit, wrap, drive. I just want them to do it. So we do reps over and over. And they were like, coach, I said, I don't want you thinking about this in the game, so do it again, you know. And they'd stand up next to you and go hit, put their face mask right in here, wrap, drive, again, you know, over and over and over. But we became the best tackling team and we won a championship, okay, because they got it in them. You think of, think of worship leaders do this all the time. Like, wouldn't it be a bummer to have a worship leader that's going like this? <laughs> they play fast. Like, you look at them, they're doing this, and they're so engaged in worship. And there's some, some people you know, or maybe it's you who do this in the kitchen. You play fast. Like, the recipe, you're just, you know, you play fast because you're familiar with it. You've done it so much, right? You, you can think about that in your work life, too. There's things you, you just play fast. So that's the spirit of it. You know it so well, you're not thinking about it. You're just executing, okay? So I begin to think about how, how can we play fast in warfare, all right? So let me just kind of give quick background here. I don't want to assume things. So Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. This was brought up last night, right? For those of you that were here to that end, keep alert and in the Greek language, it means be watchful, attentive, and ready with all perseverance. Okay, so be watchful. Just be aware. Like, like again, don't, like I never go looking for the enemy, but it's like if, if he shows himself in a way of trying to steal, kill, destroy, then, okay, you got to recognize that. And what do we do with that? All right? 1 Peter 5, be sober-minded, which means calm, collected in spirit, and be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. He's not one. He's like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith. Like, think about this main shooter seeking someone to devour. I mean, just you, you got to realize this is not, it is not human to just t pick up a gun and just randomly shoot people. There's a, there's a spiritual dynamic behind it. Okay? So, again, the idea here of be watchful. Be sober-minded. Keep alert. In other words, just kind of pay attention. Like my friend Steve Fry, who pastors at the gate, Steve says this in a great way. He said, just, just keep walking the path with Jesus. When Jesus goes, hey, there's a snake over there. Take this rake and just take that out. And just come back. Here's the rake. And you just keep walking. Okay, it's that attitude. It's just you're recognizing when the enemy's there so you know what to do with it. All right? So some of Satan's names and titles reveal some of his strategies. All right? So Satan means adversary. Again, in our discipleship, for those of you that have been here, our discipleship journey manual has this teaching times five in it, all right? Satan means adversary. Devil means accuser, okay? And we know that the enemy, you know, tries to accuse us of all kinds of things. Enemy, obviously opposing us. The God of this world who blinds the eyes of the unbelieving. So, I mean, just that alone gives us a way to pray for lost people, right? Prince of the power of the air, the roaring lion, the, the idea of intimidation. And then you got the old serpent, kind of the sneaky, poisonous, you know, that, that it's just how the enemy tries to go about attacking. Okay, and Jesus had a few words for him as well, all right? Jesus called him a liar, so you can't ever trust that, a murderer, 
uh, i.e. Maine, what we're seeing happen there with this guy shooting people, a thief who steals, kills, and destroys, and a tempter. Like these are additional things that Jesus specifically said. So obviously we're getting this sense of, you know, a, an entity that is not loving, not kind, not out for your benefit, is completely out to steal, kill, and destroy. And the thing we have to realize about the enemy is ultimately his hatred is towards God. And he knows that God loves you and me so much that he knows if he can get after us, it will impact God's heart. But ultimately, he's after God. Remember in, in Isaiah, he tries to ascend to be like God, right? And uh, it was just foolishness. But that's the arrogance. And it's always, I'm just going to say this, it's interesting to me that here is Lucifer, who may have been, again, one of the angels, who's actually seeing God, and yet he rebels. You know what I mean? That's like, I've thought about that over the years. Like, that is like pretty heavy. Like, that's just like, that does not compute. But it shows again how any part of creation can see pieces of God and still reject him. All right? That, it's an amazing thing to me. So, <clears throat> what I did is I tried to get this down to five words. Remember my coaching to three? I couldn't do it. But I got it down to five words, and they all begin with D. And so here's how I want you to think of this. You're a superhero, follower of Jesus, and you've got this grid right here. Okay, it's right here. And when you need to, you got a grid of five things you can sort through to know what's going on so you know how to respond. Okay, so the first one is distort. So say this with me, distort. distort. We're going we're gonna to get you knowing these five by the end of it. Distort. The enemy of our soul will attempt to distort and disfigure the character of God in our hearts and minds. Our first appearance of the enemy is in Genesis um, chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, did God really say? He's trying to distort. His first appearance is distorting God. Like, do you understand from the moment that you're born, the enemy of your soul is trying to distort the character of God in your heart and mind. He doesn't want you seeing what God is really like. And so when something happens, he's going to do everything he can to be able to say, no, see, see, God doesn't love you. He doesn't care for you. And, and he will lie to you to be able to get you to a place where um, you are believing stuff about God that's not true. So, Laura, please at the end remind me about to talk about the app. We have an app that we'd love to give you for free that has devotions on the character of God. One of the things that I've done as I've gone through my Bible, as I've highlighted every name, title, and attribute of God through my whole Bible with a purple pencil. Why? Because I constantly want to be reminded, this is who he is. This is who he is. And this devotional allows you in 365 days, just two minutes a day, you can listen to it, or you can watch it, but it goes through 101 attributes of God's character three to four days each. So that by the end of a year from Scripture, you've renewed your mind about what God's really like. But this is the number one strategy of the enemy. He wants, to, he wants to distort. So when we're in India and Bangladesh coming up here, part of the dynamic that, that we're dealing with is you have Muslims who've come to Jesus, who they know the Quran and they know little Jesus, little Abraham, but the Hindus, 100 million gods. And so as we go, we have to start with Jesus because Jesus is the thing they both come to. So you have to start with the character of Jesus, but it's one of my first sessions. It is the first session I will do is the character of God because they said they don't know. So they have this mixed thing of these weird gods. Is that who Jesus is? 
or the or is Allah expressed through Jesus? No, Allah and Jesus are not the same. They're not the same. So when someone says, well, their expression of God is Allah, no, Allah is not the same. Allah doesn't reflect the character of God in Scripture at all. And so I would just want you to understand, and I said this to you last night, the image of God you carry around in your heart and mind affects how you live your daily life. And for most followers of Jesus, they walk around with this distorted image of God that the enemy props up. It's kind of like when we lived in, in the Bay Area, uh, California for a while. In Santa Cruz, we would go to uh, a place where they had, you know, those goofy mirrors. You know, when you walk into the place and, you, you know, your neck looks like a giraffe or, your, you know, your body is just distorted. It's like that's what the enemy does when, when something happens in life. The enemy will take a mirror like this and put it up there and try to distort for you who God is like. And then we start subtly believing that, and we believe a lie. So I just want you to see this is part of the enemy strategy. He'll also distort things that are maybe this big, and he'll play on your fears. Like, the, like always remember, the devil does not know your thoughts. Nowhere in the Bible does it say the devil knows your thoughts. The only one that knows your thoughts is God. But he's been around the human condition for a long time. So he's aware of words. He's aware of actions. He's aware of those things to read into what's going on. All right? And so therefore, he tees you up. And he's aware of those vulnerabilities. And, and if it's fear, what he'll do is take this thing that's really this big and he'll make it this big. He'll distort it. So that, no, I can't, I just can't, no, come on, let's, is God asking you to say, yes, he is, but I'm too afraid. Well, you need to walk now with the Lord in faith and with some friends around you and step into that thing and through it. And all of a sudden, you just pop that bubble. You break that stronghold in your life, see? So this is something we have to be aware. So what is the first one? Distort. Distort. All right. So here's the counterpunch. What's the counterpunch? Know and declare the character of God from the scriptures in your own life experience. Lord, last time we were here, so Cheryl and I will sometimes do this. If, if there's a challenge going on, we'll sit down and say, okay, let's be intentional tonight. Last time we were in this kind of situation, what did God do? And we'll start rehearsing it with each other. Oh, yeah, and do you remember that other time? when? And all of a sudden, faith starts growing in your heart because you remember who God is in the midst of it and how he's come through. But, but can I just say this to you? You have to find a godly aggressiveness in this. I'm not talking about yelling and screaming and bravehearting, but I'm saying we can be so passive. There are times for me, if you would see me in my little study at home, where I am just, I'm not yelling and screaming, but I'm saying, in the name of Jesus, you will not. And I will wrestle that thing. And if you start dealing with my grandkids, you're in trouble. See, and it's like, but there's, there's something like, the, you know, the Bible says, be angry and do not sin. So when I'm taking guys to Nepal and they're seeing the realities of human trafficking upon these 8 to 15 year old girls and they're weeping. And then after they're weeping, they're angry. I said, you should be angry. Why? Because it's something God is angry about. Like, when is anger righteous? It's only when it's the things that make God angry. That makes God angry. So be angry, don't sin, but then asking the Lord, God, what am I supposed to do with this? What's the action point now that allows me to not function out of anger, but to make a difference? Distort is the first one. So the, the counterpunch, can I just encourage you, get to know God's character. Because that's where you can stand. And that's where I have to say, no, no, God is not like this. He's like this. You know, I can't tell you how many times I have to interrupt people lovingly when they say, well, you know, 
I think this, all this bad stuff is coming on me because I did. I said, God's not like that. Is there a reaping and sowing that happens? Yes. But don't be putting this stuff on God. God is not like that. He is for you. He loves you. He's trying to draw you to himself. All right? And, and so we have to sometimes help people realize, like, what is God like? And so this is a constant journey for me. I'm not, I'm second grade in this, so I'm continually learning. It's one of the, the thing I love about the character of God is on this side of heaven, you'll never, right? And then when we're in heaven, we'll go, wow, it's even bigger than I thought, right? <laughs> See? But distort is the first one. So here's the second one. So the first one is? Second one is? Distract. All right, distract. So what I did on these five is I just kind of went through scripture and found, okay, how, what are the primary ways the enemy tries to attack us? So that, that at least, and I, so I'm going to say this is 90, 95% of the ways. So that if you have a grid here that you can kind of look at and know how you're to respond, this helps you. So the second one is distraction. So I think this is things like loss of focus. There's a lot of diversion. There's a lot of commotion. There's something that I... Um, I like to call spiritual swirls. So here's how I can tell I'm, I'm in a situation that spiritually something is going on beyond just the human thing. I walk into a situation as clear as a bell, knowing what needs to be done needs to happen, and I leave the situation in a fog. When that happens, I know there's more to it here than just human beings, 100% of the time. It's like, why did this so, and I come out of the thing, I'm more confused, I'm, and this is this fog. It's, I call it a spiritual swirl that you get caught up in and you can't see clearly anymore. That's the enemy distracting. He doesn't want you to be able to see it clearly. It's like, do you remember that movie Up? That's why I have squirrels there where the dog is squirrels, you know? It's like the enemy does this shiny thing where it's like he gets your attention. See this over here instead? And we drift over here and before we know it, we're, we're distracted. We're not keeping our eyes where they need to be. And all of us can fall prey to this. See? So think of Mary and Martha. You know, I, I'm, I am of the belief that Jesus was not in any way rebuking Martha. He was just saying, hey, come here. Like, I'm not going to be around much longer. I want you to sit here at my feet. All right? And she was distracted with serving. Do you know we can get distracted with serving Jesus? So much so that we can miss some of these things. So it's an important piece for us to pause and, and kind of look at and go, okay, God, What's going on here? So when you feel distracted, like the way, I don't, I wouldn't say I start by feeling distracted. I start by feeling off. Like, why do I feel off? Like, I'm not seeing this like I need to. That's a clue to me. Okay, is there something else going on here, Lord? You got to help me see what's going on. All right. What's the counterpunch to distract? The first one is consistently walking in obedience to Jesus. Am I doing the last thing the Lord showed me to do? whether it's from your quiet time in the scriptures or he's something the Holy Spirit showed you to do. And when distraction arises, go back and obey the last thing that the Lord showed you to do. That's kind of, like I said it, uh, last night, it's like a spiritual chiropractic adjustment. If you are just going like, I just am so out here, just stop and say, okay, Lord, help me remember, what was the last thing that I know you showed me to do? Oh, you asked me to give that $500 to so-and-so. And I just kind of was dilly-dallying on that because I don't know if I want to do that or not just go and be obedient. And it's amazing how kind of the, the alignment of all that begins to happen again. So it's like a spiritual chiropractic adjustments and you rightly aligned and okay, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Our disobedience causes us to drift. And drifting spiritually is never a good thing, okay? 
And so when it comes to distracting, it's consistently walking in obedience to Jesus. And then when distraction arises, go back to the last thing. Like even if you've been drifting a little bit to today and you're sitting here and going, yeah, to be honest, okay, what's the last thing the Lord showed you to do? And get in alignment with that thing. God, walk in obedience. By the way, while we're here, let me say this. So when we talk about obedience, depending on our backgrounds, we have a different perspective of what this means. Because sometimes we think it's, okay, if, when Jesus said, if you love me, You'll obey me. We think it's like, doggone it, prove it by your obedience. It's not. I think if we were with Jesus, it would have looked like this. I think he would have done like this. If you love me, you'll obey me. See, it's, it's, it's an attitude out of love. Like, Lord, this is a privilege. Like, I was lost. Now I'm found. I, I'm a part of your team. And so it's, it's out of my, the more I love Jesus. So the emphasis isn't obey, obey, obey. The emphasis is get, fall in love with him more. And then it becomes a ridiculous thought to disobey him. See? But if we've grown up in an environment where there's a lot of, there's a lot of legalisms in it, see, that's where we need, to, we need to get free of that and realize, okay, this is about loving you. And as I love you, there's this place of desire of obedience. Okay? All right, so the first one is what? Distort. Distort. The second one is distract. Here's the third one. Discourage. All right? Discourage. We've all kind of been under this one. So discouragement, so I want you to think from this day forward, part of the meaning of this word discourage is discourage, to remove courage. See, that's the thing the enemy's after. He can, if he can remove courage from you to follow the Lord, remove courage from you to walk rightly, remove courage to walk in truth, remove courage to rise up to the thing that God has called you to, he's going to win. And some of that will come through accusation. Remember, he's the accuser. Oh, yeah, you're this. Oh, yeah, do you see? And through failure, like, how are, how's God ever going to use you? Like, you ever had that one? You know, because, of course, we all have. Moses had, we all had that. All right? Hopelessness. And then he just steal, kill, and destroy. He just wants to come in and take you out. And so sometimes this discouragement is like a wet blanket he just throws on you. You're just kind of like this. You, you can't, it's sticking to you. You can't get up. And, and this is one of those things that you've got to be able to battle through. Okay, remember that portion. I, and I'm sorry I can't pull up the verse, but where it says, and, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. Like, have you learned to encourage yourself? Because sometimes you're just not people around to encourage you. You might say, man, I wish I had my buddies here, but they're not around. David encouraged himself in the Lord. And we've got to come to a place in our journey where you know how to encourage yourself in the Lord. It might be having to remind yourself about who God is and his character. Like on this one, one of the counter punches to discouragement. Um, like, oh, before I go there, the, the story of Elijah in 1 Kings. Like, we got this amazing story where they're pouring water over everything and fire comes down from heaven. And like, talk about a big win. The next, you know, the next thing, he's like, God, just take me out. Have you noticed that some of the greatest discouragement or vulnerability in you comes not only after hard things, it comes after big wins. And it's one of the things that we have to always guard ourselves after a big win. It's guarding yourself a little bit extra because the enemy wants to take advantage of that just celebratory, and there's nothing wrong with celebrating it, but it's just being aware. Okay, let me just kind of armor up here. Helmet of salvation, breastplate of rights, you know, just armoring up. Okay. 
So what's the counterpunch? First, it's when we look at Elisha in 2 Kings 6, do you remember the servant, hey, comes running in, hey, there's all kinds of army people out here, we're in trouble. And, and he says, Lord, would you open the eyes of my head? He saw chariots of fire, tens of thousands of chariots of fire. We have to step back and see the big picture. Like for me, oftentimes, Revelation 4 and 5, I go back to where they're all declaring holy, holy, holy. And I realize, see, you know, that's going on in heaven now. That's not just something that happens when we get there. That's happening now. Like, like when, can you imagine when God reveals a, 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 another aspect or a, a, lets us see in a greater way an aspect of his character in heaven? They just go, oh my gosh. You know, maybe they're just talking. All of a sudden, for whatever reason, God starts revealing this. And they're like, oh my gosh, did you? And it's holy, holy, holy moly, holy, holy. You know, it's like, wow, right? And, and it's not angels assigned over there because they were naughty angels. Okay, for the rest of eternity, all you can do is say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was in it. It's not that. It's a natural response because of what they're seeing. Okay? So imagine we're gonna get, when we get to heaven, we get to enter into that. And we get to enter into that, think about this, in community of people that we love and know. Like I, I, I can imagine some of my friends that have gone on ahead of me. That when I get there, they're going to go, Dave, you need to see this. Come here. I mean, it's just going to be an amazing thing. <laughs> see, and that's ultimately the fear the enemy wants to have on you is death. And the Bible says, where's death sting? Like once you are no longer afraid of death, uh-oh, the enemy realizes, uh-oh. See? Because there's nothing like death is, hey, I get to be with Jesus full time. See? So another key piece of this for me with discouragement, um, I just call it worship warfare, prayer warfare. So there's a praying piece. There's a being in the word piece. For me, when I feel warfare, I pull on my headsets and I pull out, uh, I have on my phone a worship warfare track of about 15 or 20 songs. And I'll stick my headsets on and I will just worship God. And that, that's one of the, I, so I like to say I, I like to war my way out of it through worship. So if I feel like I'm in a tough spot, if I feel like, you know, I've got this wave after wave after wave of several of these things going on, I will put my headsets on and I will worship. I have a celebration track. I have an intimacy with God track. I have a warfare track. And every once in a while, I'll mix up the songs in there. But it's, it's my place to go. So when I'm, I'm feeling this, I will worship. Because when I worship, it gets my eyes off of my circumstances fully onto God and His presence meets me. See? But, but notice there's proactivity there. I'm not just sitting there. I, I had to go get the headsets. I had to go choose those tracks. I had to enter into worship. But just taking those steps, let God come and meet me. Okay? So what's the first one? Second, distract, discourage. All right, here's the fourth one, deceive. Distort, distract, discourage, deceive. All right? So I like to define deception in this warfare context through this. The enemy gives you a blend of falsehoods mixed with a portion of truth that is aimed at your vulnerabilities. A blend of falsehoods mixed with just enough truth, and he aims it right at your vulnerabilities. Okay? And he tries to, it's the sneaky snake thing. He tries to deceive. He did this with Jesus in Matthew 4, 1 to 11, where, hey, if you do this, then I'll do this. Like, like who is he to Speak that way to the Son of God. But, he, but there's the arrogance. There's the, you know, he knew he was the Son of Man, and so he's attacking, but it's all lies. And Jesus responds with the truth of Scripture, which is obviously a key way for us to respond to the enemy. Why we need to know the Word. Why we need to know the character of God.
Okay. So when I am working with leaders, and I, we, we do something every year. You're, if you're interested in this, you can talk to Laura or me about it. It's called the Leadership Journey. And it goes from January to June. And it's my primary discipleship place each year. I take a group of leaders. It's usually 10 to 20 a year. And, um, and you come to Nashville in January and April for a weekend retreat. The rest of it is on your own. I ask for five hours a week that you watch, read, and listen to things I give you. And then every other week we jump on Zoom and we process it together. But the very first weekend we deal with strongholds. How do you get free? So we use a methodology called freedom prayer, which is just a repentance, forgiveness-based way of getting free. It's owning your stuff. It's forgiving those who have hurt you. But I start by asking this question. If you were the devil, how would you take you out? So I want you to think about that. If you were the devil and you had to attack you, how would you take you out? If we're honest, within 30 seconds to a minute, we can all answer that question. You need to know your vulnerabilities so you can build those things up in the Lord. Right? Because he's aware. Not because he's all-knowing, but because he's watched the human condition. And he's, you know, somehow the demonic world has seen enough of us that there is intel on you. If you were the devil, how would you take you out? How would you strategize? Like what layer after layer after layer of stuff would you barrage yourself with to take you out? To get you, you know, into these places of distortion and distraction and discouragement, see? The counterpunch to deception, obviously, is a commitment to walk in truth. It's to be in the Word. It's to allow the Word of God to be your guide for truth. Okay? So it's, it's a commitment to walking in truth. And with that, I would marry, the only way you can do that well is you're in the Word, but you have to be walking with others in relationship. Okay? So who, people who have your back. All right? There's several layers for this. I mean, I know my lion's share board and team does. I know the church that I'm at, the elders I walk with, I know they do. But a real practical part of it for me is I've got three guys in my life, Jim, Dan, and Bruce. And we've known each other a long, long time. And since 2006, about every four to six weeks, we will get together now this week. We call it our little band of brothers breakfast. And the four of us get together, and we've done this since 06. And the first, you know, 15, 20 minutes is just yakking and catching up. And then about the time the food comes, one of us will say, hey, Jimmy, what's going on? And it's his opportunity just to unload. Celebrate, you know, celebrate awesome stuff together, high-fivings, but then unloading the tough stuff. And we've each, we each take our turns in that morning doing that so we know where each other's at. These are guys that, like one time I was in D.C. and I had to... Um, it was about 10.30 at night, and the guy I was staying with, he says, hey, did you, did you bring your suit coat and all that you bring you know, when you're in that area? And I said, yes, why? And he said, well, tomorrow morning at, I think it was like 8 o'clock or 7.30, I'd like you to speak to ambassadors that will be here. And I'm just going, dude, it's 10.30 at night. Like, I got time to sleep and shower. How am I supposed to even? So I text Jim, Dan, and Bruce, said, guy, along with Cheryl, of course. I said, hey, can you just pray? This is what just happened. And I'm not kidding you. Cheryl's always amazed. Within five minutes, one of them says, gotcha. Another says, got your back. Another one says, praying. And we've had a commitment in relationship like that to walk with each other. And if something is off, we're there for each other. Who is that in your life? Who have you invited into your life to walk with you in that kind of way? Because to stay out of deception, and we've helped each other out in this. Like we'll speak into each other's life, said, dude, you're looking at this completely whacked. One of these couples um, this spring 
the, one of the spouses left the other spouse. And so then we're kind of thrust into this crisis moment. And God met them both where they were at, and now their marriage is better than ever. But it was a situation where we remained committed, vigilant, praying, walking through, getting them pointed to the right people, praying that God revealed to them, because they each were off in areas. And I said, stop looking at each other's offs and look at your own. And when they did that, and God helped for it now, I mean, they would tell you if they were standing here, our marriage has never been better, and they're hitting on close to 40 years. Jesus, only Jesus, okay? But, but, we, but I'm asking you, who, who do you walk with like that? And if you're sitting here going, I don't really have people like that, can I, t- can I encourage you to formalize that? Like for us, it's every four to six weeks. And then about every few years, we do a trip together. We did a trip to Panama and Costa Rica once. One of the guys had an opportunity for us to go fishing, deep sea fishing. We caught a 300-pound tuna, and it took, all four, it took two hours to get in the boat. I was first on the line. I held my own. You know, before we were, you know, going out, we said, who's going to be the wuss that can't bring the fish in the boat, right? But when we got this one, the, the first mate said, we had a captain and first mate, and he said, no, no, this is a lifetime catch. You do not want to miss this one. And then they all said, wuss thing off. We're all going to help, you know? And so I was on first because we had drawn straws and, and I did good. But, but the, as soon as he bit, that thing took the line for about three minutes. And he, the guy said, don't touch that. It'll rip your thumb off. Because, you know, the, the reel's this huge. And, and three minutes goes by, and that thing is just swimming out. And, and the guy doesn't know how big the fish is at this point. But he says, and then when, when he stops, he looks at me and goes, Dave, make him pay. You know? And so I just start doing this. Well, I got him about 40 minutes under, straight down. And my lower back is just starting to feel it. And the guy said, this is, this is at least a 200-pound fish. You don't want to lose this. It's a lifetime catch. And so I told the guys, I said, guys, I got five minutes left in the tank. And when I was done, I was exhausted. I mean, it took every, and because there was no strap you in, holding you up, sit in a chair. This was, they put this little thing enough just to put your rod in there. So you're feeling the, like it's, it's you know, bringing up a 300 pound lineman from the bottom of the ocean, right? <laughs> and so then Bruce gets on. And so I'm ready to hand the thing to Bruce. When I hand it to him, he goes like this and he goes, now I understand, you know, and he stands up and it took all four of us. Okay. Then, then Jim was next. Then Dan was able, we were able to help him bring, and the guys, we have a picture of the four of us sitting in seats like this and it's as long as us, a tuna. It was amazing. It was an amazing moment. Well, the four of us, so we've shared those kinds of, we've done trips together like that. So this, this brotherhood is tight. They'd probably be four of the guys or three of the guys that when I go to heaven, if they've beaten me, you know, to live longer, um, that Cheryl would say, hey, with, with our, my son and son-in-law, would you carry? You know, they're those kind of guys. Who do you have in your life like that, ladies? As ladies. Guys, who do you have in your life like that as men? Because that's part of walking free from deception. It's first the word of God being in you. But secondly, it's having those kinds of relationships that will speak into your life that you invite them freely to do that. Okay, so let's review. Distort. Distract, discourage, deceive, and the last one is divide. Divide. We know this one well. The enemy tries to separate relationships. That's just how he works. Because he knows if you can separate, because the thing he fears is a united body of Christ. Because he knows if there's a united body of Christ, he doesn't stand a chance. So that's why you've got to guard it when you speak of other members of the body of Christ that aren't in your church or tribe. Because the enemy, that's what he wants, to divide that. Oh, well, they're just there. Oh, well, they don't do the same thing we do. You know, whatever. It's like, no, that, they're the body of Christ. And the enemy wants to try to divide that. 
So it's separating relationships. But, but can I just tell you, this one is something I've noticed as well over the years, operating independently. Like another way of causing division is people operating independently that you're not referencing anybody. I'll just do this alone. Guys, we can be guilty of this as a man. I, I, can, I don't need anybody. I can, and that's, not, that's a bunch of hooey. It's not biblical. But one of the things the enemy tries to get us to do is operate independently. He cannot defeat a united church. This is why. I mean, so think about this. The Bible says, by the way they love one another, this is the body of Christ, by the way they love one another, the world will know that God has sent his son. So the enemy knows that. So if he can cause a hitch in the giddy-up, so to speak, of that, he knows that, and, and so this is why we have division in the body of Christ. The enemy is sowing in lies. He plays off of our insecurities, plays off our fears, and causes division. Okay? What's the counterpunch to this? Well, it's Ephesians 4. It says, maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. So, are you somebody, and if you're not, just repent today and say, Jesus, forgive me, help me start afresh, give me the power of your Spirit to do this. Are you a maintainer of unity, or do you t does the enemy tend to use your mouth to divide? He used Peter's mouth, so he can use ours too to try to get us causing trouble. So how can you from this day forward say, I'm going to be a maintainer of unity? So if I don't get it, I'm going to step into and have a conversation so that I can understand. See? And then secondly, 2 Corinthians calls us, we're agents of reconciliation. All right? Are you being an agent of reconciliation? Are you looking for ways that God might use you to reconcile relationships? Okay? All right, so let's, let's rehearse these. So the first one is distort, then distract, discourage, deceive, divide. So I purposely have made them all these to try to help us remember. And so this is, again, the visual for me. It's, it's right here. Okay, I just keep these five things, so no matter what I'm doing, where I am, they're just right here. And when I need them, something's going on, I can go like this, and I can, it gives me a grid to quickly, okay, this is distortion, and this is division. Now I know what to do. You see what I'm saying? Play fast. Remember where we were at the beginning. How do I help people play fast when it comes to how the enemy tries to steal, kill, and destroy? And so this, this gives you at least a grid. Am I saying this is 100% of all the way? No, I'm not. But I'm saying for me, it's a good 90 to 95% of the way the enemy tends to attack us. And so if you can just be aware. So, so you guys, like this afternoon, I don't know if you're going to go down to the Franklin Street Fair, if you're going to, you know, what you're going to do, but just kind of watch what's going on in your life. And when stuff happens, start paying attention. You, you, know, you know how this goes with truth. You have to kind of start working it in. So find a way. Put a card in your, on your bathroom mirror or at work. Put a little something that just reminds you so when something happens, you can turn around, okay, which of the five is this? Because I, I, I tell, I'm telling you most of the time you're going to be able to go, okay, this is what this is. Well, so-and-so, um, Evan, so-and-so got the job and instead of you, we want you to stay in your same role. And Evan's kind of, okay, thank you for telling me. But then when he leaves, discouragement <coughs> comes as a wave over Evan. And that's where he can look at that thing, okay, right now. I, I, am, I am not going to allow the enemy to place this on me. Thank you, God, that you've given me a job. Thank you that I'm still here. Thank you that you've provided. Thank you that if it means I've been passed on this, there's something else you've got for me. See, and, and you, you respond, there's a proactive response. It's not just passively sitting there. It's proactive, see, and that's the key. That's the key is proactive response, okay? So let me just kind of leave it there. Um, in the Discipleship Journey Manual, one of the things that we have is 10 weapons 
you know, of spiritual warfare, okay, that, that you can use. I like this portion of Revelation 12. And they have conquered him, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. This is what God did for me. And they love not their lives even unto death. Like, see, again, that's what I said to you. When, de- when you no longer fear death, you're dangerous. Because the enemy knows. He can link, you put that thing, well, what if you go, yeah, what if I go to heaven? Yeah, that's not so bad. If you've never read it, Randy Elkhorn's book called Heaven, I'd commend oh, that to you. So because we got to get to a place in our lives where we realize that few, we don't have to be afraid of our eternal future. It's pretty awesome. All right? So, Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Thank you that understanding spiritual warfare is just one of those tools we need to understand as we're moving the kingdom forward. So, Lord, would you take the things today that you want to underscore to us and the rest that just doesn't need to be that important right now, Lord, would you just let that drift by the wayside. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to be together. Lord, we love you, honor you, and want your name to be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, you guys. Man, that was awesome stuff from Dave Buring. I'm so thankful that he shared what he shared in that episode today. And I hope that you were encouraged and and maybe challenged and, and move forward just a little bit in your thinking about spiritual warfare. Did you recognize anything in your life when you listened to this episode? Were there any red flags that came up in your mind? Like, man, I felt distracted, or I've been feeling discouraged, or I've been discouraging even my own self in my mind lately. Am I disobeying Jesus in a subtle way? Like, I'm just not gonna do that right now, Lord. You know, is any of that happening in your life? If it is, I encourage you to check out some of these resources. Go to lionshare.org and download the resources from Dave. You can also check out Steps to Freedom by Neil Anderson or check out Carl Payne's book, Spiritual Warfare. This is something that the Lord has been teaching me and opening my eyes and blowing my mind. I was raised Southern Baptist, so there was a little foreign to me, but now this is a new tool that I have in my tool belt to fight the enemy on a regular basis and keep me in the center of God's will and keep me close to him so I can hear his voice. And I hope that you will get those tools and those resources that you need so you can do the same. All right, y'all. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Be blessed. And I hope to catch you on the next one. We'll see you.